Welcome to the Alabama Literacy Network's podcast, which is designed to share information and best practices for literacy in the state of Alabama. We represent various groups working on literacy in the state. We hope to bring a wide variety of resources together to help school leaders, teachers, and parents so that all children read at high levels. We believe that literacy is a fundamental right that is tied to so many positive outcomes that we want for the citizens of Alabama. This podcast was brought to you by Brightspot Ed LLC, an educational consulting company based in Alabama, providing consulting, professional learning, evaluation services, and resources. Our goal is to highlight the good and replicate it across education. Check us out at brightspoted.com. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Bell Smith. Today, we will be talking to Steve Hannum, Director of Literacy Initiatives for the Literacy Council of Central Alabama. Mr. Hannum has been working with literacy in Alabama for the past 15 years, and during that time, he has emerged as one of the central figures in literacy in the state. He serves as the Director of Literacy Initiatives for the Literacy Council of Central Alabama. He served in other roles in the nonprofit sector for the past 25 years following a career as a tennis pro and coach. He received an undergraduate degree in economics at Auburn and an undergrad in education at the University of Alabama. He also earned a master's degree in education from Alabama. He served on multiple nonprofit boards and assisted in a variety of successful ventures in the nonprofit world, including being a co-founder of the Alabama Literacy Alliance and credited with the creation of Alabama's Campaign for Grade Level Reading. Welcome, Steve Hannum. Good afternoon, Shelley. It's nice to be here. Uh, Let's start by you telling everyone what the Literacy Council does and why it's needed. The Literacy Council is a Birmingham-based nonprofit that was founded 30 years ago. And if you ask me what we do, I would say we teach adults to read. But it's actually a lot more than that. ESL, English for Speakers of Other Language. We help adults get their GEDs. And we recently added a workforce development program. We're also involved in several children's and family initiatives. Programmatically, most of what we do is in the five-county greater Birmingham area. People ask me all the time to describe a typical adult who come to us for help. Most likely, when they arrive, they'll be reading somewhere in what you might think of as the second, third, fourth grade level. Almost all of them lack some basic reading component or mix of the five basic reading components. And by reading components, I mean phonemic awareness, phonics, vocabulary, fluency, and comprehension. We'll do an assessment when they come in. All all of our programming is free and very confidential. Once we get started, and we have a variety of different curriculums and models that we study with students, generally based on what their goals are. But once we get started, we find that some of them really struggle, as you might guess. But then some of them progress fairly quickly. Most of the instruction is one-to-one and led by volunteers that we train. And almost all, without exception, almost all of the folks that that come to us are anxious to learn because they don't have to be here. It's not like when we were in school and we're making excuses not to go. They want to go. So they're anxious to learn and generally very grateful to have someone who's willing to help. Sometimes our adult learners want to just get to read better in general and don't have a special motivation. But we have found through the years that generally 
most people, when they come, have some specific reason that they came. There's there's usually something that they're encouraged that they want to learn to read. Those reasons fall into three basic categories. So adults come to us, and we know before they even walk in the door, they usually are there for one of three reasons. You want to guess what the reasons are? They need to read to get a job or a promotion, maybe. That's one of them. That's one. And we we link the GED in with that. Because most what we have found, most people when they're when they're getting their GED are not really getting their GED for sake of acquisition of knowledge. They're there because that's a stepping stone. So that's one. Jobs or GED. Two more. I'm thinking um, the second one may involve their family where they want they want to learn how to read so that they can help their children. That's exactly right. They read to kids or read to grandkids. In a second, I'll, I'll actually even tell you about one of the first learners that I worked with at the Literacy Council. And what would the third reason be? Oh, I'm, I'm afraid that I may not know. Okay, I'm going to guess and, and say maybe that they, they want to read to better themselves, be part of church or yeah. the Bible. Yes. Uh, yes. Steve has written a note saying, say Bible. <laughs> I didn't want you to miss that one. Okay. Uh, and we all know how difficult the Bible is to, to read uh, certain versions, to read and comprehend. So they'll come in wanting to read the Bible or related materials, or sometimes we'll have people from different backgrounds. So it might be religious materials that are not the Old or New Testament, but are related to their religion. Uh, I remember one of the first people that I, I typically don't work with students, but but I enjoy doing it, and and there are times that I do. In fact, it's kind of nice to always have a student that you're helping because it keeps the reason that I'm involved uh, fresh in your mind because you see it all the time of what a, what an adult who can't read is having to go through. So I had a, a woman come, an African-American woman who was, I'm going to bet when she came somewhere in the 55-year-old age range. She said she was retired, but she didn't say what she was retired from. We do an input where we ask some rather personal questions, particularly as it relates to their academics and educational background. Because for us to help them, we got to know a little bit more about them. She was really shy. She didn't want to tell me much about school. And she didn't want to say why she was there, how far she went in school, what she wanted to learn to read. And, And one of the questions is, well, what do you want to learn to read? You know, why do you want to learn to read? She was reluctant to answer that. And we don't push, we know not to push too hard. Went ahead and got started. And when she first started, she was reading at a low level. I was even kind of wondering how she could be retired from working at an office when she couldn't read any better than that. And I never did find out exactly what she did. But she was dedicated and she was a good learner. She was plenty bright and worked hard. So Little by little, she was, well, not little by little, she was progressing more than most of uh, the folks that we had. So she was getting better and better. And then after we had been meeting for several months, one day she stopped abruptly during one of our sessions where we were, I was just using whatever our 
planned curriculum was for that day. So she stopped right in the middle of it, interrupted and said, do you want to know I'm really here? And I was kind of taken aback a little. And, and I said, sure, I do. So she went on to tell me two stories. And one of them was about an episode she had had a while back in her neighborhood when one of her real close neighbor friends had discovered she couldn't read and her neighbor volunteered to help her. So they were working on her reading. And then the neighbor was a bit gossipy and told the others in the neighborhood. And then it got back to my friend and she was totally embarrassed. And so she just quit in her tracks right then. And then I even remember to when, when she first came in and I told her, you know, there's a literacy group that's located much closer to where you live. You could save it. And they're virtually the same as we are. You could save a lot of time if you wanted to go there. And she said, oh, no, I want to come see you guys. And she wanted to get out of her neighborhood. She didn't want anybody to see her walking in to get literacy instruction. So she dropped her reading for a while. But during that time, she had been reading to her, at that time, I think, four-year-old granddaughter. But she wasn't really reading. I mean, she would know some of the words, but mainly it was picture books. And she would see the picture and she would make up stories, which is fine to do. But the four-year-old, who also was learning the sounds of letters and, and coding skills, one day told the grandmother, Grandma, but that's not what that word says. And the grandmother, again, was embarrassed and shocked because nobody in her family knew that she couldn't read. And she said, and so that's why I'm here. So I kind of changed course with our instruction and got a copy of the book that she had been reading with the grandmother. And we learned it backwards and forwards. The word that, that she had trouble with was orange, like orange juice or eating an orange. And, it, you know, that's a challenging word for somebody who, whose reading skills are not very strong. So I made sure she could take it apart and put it back together and knew the correct pronunciation and how the word could be used. And so she got where she could go through the book very fluently. And I made her even read the, the credits on the very first page that nobody reads. And she said, well, you told me once I didn't have to know all this. I said, well, in this book, you have to know everything in case your grandmother asked you. But so so we we moved from that and, and then she wanted to learn more about the Bible and we got a, a version that was much easier for her to follow. And she was doing real well with advancing with that reading to the point that she said people in her Sunday school class were remarking on how well she read. And she said, and before she always made an excuse when it was her time to read. So they didn't they never still don't know she couldn't read. So she finally got to a point, and, and that's the way that she said, I, I'm very comfortable now with my abilities, and thank you for all you did. And, and that's the way, way it works. We don't really have a grad at the Literacy Council. We don't have a graduation like you think of as in public schools or higher ed. It's just when people reach their goal or if something comes along in their life that pulls them away, then usually they stop. But interestingly, a year or so later, she called me and said, I want to take you to lunch. So we went out to lunch at a real nice restaurant. She insisted on paying, and I knew where she lived, and I knew she couldn't afford to do that. But we went out to eat, and it was small talk mostly. But finally she said, and she and I had grown up in Birmingham, different sides of town, during an awful era of segregation in Birmingham. 
and horrible things going on. And she said, you know, if I'd have known you back then, the way white people were treating us, I would have hated you. And again, I was at a loss for words. And she said, but you know, reading brought us together and you've shown me a different world. And she showed me a different world. So I really learned to appreciate what her life was like and what she had to go through for almost all of her life on a daily basis, because I was in my bubble and I didn't know. Those are the kinds of things that we have the benefit of being able to see at the Literacy Council. What a compelling story and the heartwarming aspect of that grandmother wanting to learn for her granddaughter and to read her Bible. And I love the line about reading brought us together because uh, my most recent podcast was with a superintendent in Pennsylvania. He's in Bethlehem. And it's really that social justice piece that literacy is a way uh, of healing old wounds and making things right that were not right before. So I love I love that you brought that out. So I know that you were involved in the campaign for grade level reading, which is not an adult literacy piece. So what was your motivation for doing that? I was first introduced to the campaign for grade level reading probably back in around 2013 or 14 by a friend from New York. And she was telling me about some of the benefits of the campaign that she had seen and was encouraging me to try to see if I couldn't maybe get something started in our state. But I was initially very hesitant because we at the Literacy Council, we're not totally, but at that time, well, at that time, totally uh, adult and uh, still now primarily adult. But I knew a couple of people who were involved with the upper management in the campaign from working in other nonprofits. So I called Ron Fairchild, who is in senior management with the campaign and lives up in the D.C. area. He's an educational consultant, and he and I had worked on a, an after-school project with Boys and Girls Clubs and how boys and girls clubs can use uh, after-school time more effectively academically. And so I called Ron. So I, I finally said, hey, Ron, a couple of folks are suggesting I get involved with the campaign in Alabama. Let me ask you three questions. First, does it work? Second, is it expensive? And third, does it take a lot of time? So the first question, he said, yes, the research is very solid uh, campaign, and we've got libraries full of it. And I said, well, is it very expensive to join? And he said, no, there's not a fee to actually join the campaign. But to develop a campaign, you'd have to create a budget. And so there's some money. But he said, really, it's not that expensive. In one way, it's looking at how you're spending money now and being sure you're spending it, uh, your resources in the correct priority order. So he said, yeah, you'll, you'll have to come up with some money to do it but it's not going to cost you that much. And I said, what about the third one, the time? He said, oh yeah, you're going to have to spend a lot of time to get it to work. So we talked here in the state with some others to get their thoughts on whether they thought it would work. I, at that time, was kind of building it from an adult literacy standpoint from, I guess you would say, as an effort to attack the issue upstream. So if you can improve literacy rates when children are younger, then they don't have to go through what the lady I talked about 
what they have to go through. So that was my initial motivation. And then little by little, more and more people got involved. And then very happily, the, the governor saw the wisdom in the campaign. And now it's off and running. And Barbara Cooper and Loretta Jenkins at Early Childhood Development or Early Childhood Education, I'm comfortable we're going to do a really good job spreading it through the state. Yes. And that's actually one of our earlier podcasts was with them. You were supposed to be with us that day. And so if our listeners have not listened to that podcast, uh, you can learn a lot about the work that's already happened and continuing with the campaign for grade level reading. So I would encourage you to do that if you haven't already. So you and I have had many discussions about the topic of adult literacy. And so I would love for you to share some of your thoughts on where we are in Alabama currently with adult literacy? Well, uh, let me tell you briefly about what the research says about adult literacy in Alabama. Because last year in April, a very important national literacy survey, the results were released. of it, And it's called the Program for International Assessment of Adult Competencies, or uh, the acronym PIAC. It's sometimes referred to as State and County Indicators of Adult Literacy and Numeracy because it, it measures the state of literacy, adult literacy, all across the country nationally by state and even by county. And it also does the topic of numeracy. We could spend a week talking about it, so I'm just going to briefly run through it and give you the highlights. They define an adult as 16 to 74, and that data is being used nationally. And it's very informative, particularly for policymakers in education and at all levels of government. It measures and reports literacy on five levels, one to five, with one being the lowest and five being the highest. A level five reader is very proficient, even with very complex text. A level one reader is barely literate, if literate at all. A level one reader struggles with basic written material. They might can fill out a simple form. They can read short sentences and short paragraphs. But beyond that, they're they're really going to struggle. They might miss the word orange. They would they would miss the word. Yes, that lady was not a. She was a level one reader. She was not any higher than that. And and they provide the data in several forms. But the most popular PIAC data is on an interactive map, and it's posted online, free to look at. Yes, I think that is fascinating. Uh, yeah, it is fascinating. And anybody who has any interest in literacy, I think, would, would, would benefit by spending a little time looking at it. It shows the country, the rates in a color-coded way. So at a glance, you can see where the pockets of struggling readers are and where the stronger readers are. What I find most people say is, when they first see the map, they're drawn to the to the border between our country and Mexico, the high illiteracy rates uh, along the border. And most of those people are immigrants. They may read very well in their native language, but they're going to struggle with English. And it, it wanders up. Southern California also has a, a large number of immigrants. And, and in the northwest of the country, you'll see pockets of, of immigrant populations that struggle with their English. In the south... If you look at the Mississippi River, geographically going up and down right along the river, there are lots of adults that struggle with their reading. And it flows through Alabama, through the Black Belt, and through Georgia, and then up the Atlantic seaboard. And then there's there's pockets uh, 
in, in Appalachia of, of folks that, that really struggle with their reading. But in every state, there's some struggling readers and there's some really good readers. So there's pockets everywhere. It, it's also interesting when you put literacy rates next to homelessness, health outcomes, incarceration, and several several other social factors that the areas where literacy rates are bad tend to have higher homeless rates and low birth rate babies and people receiving government subsidies. They almost mirror each other, which is a, a topic we might need to talk about one. Now, when it comes to Alabama, the PAC data tells us that in Alabama, there are 855,298 adults who read at the lowest level. So 855,000. Now, 855,000 is a significant number. It's 24% of our adult population, which means roughly one out of four adults in Alabama probably can't help very much with the kids' homework. They're going to struggle to find a job that pays a living wage. They have trouble reading and comprehending medical advice and on and on and on. When one out of four adults can't read, it's a shocking number. I have trouble forming images of big numbers. Once it gets over about 100, I'm kind of lost in all the zeros. Me too. One way to form a a mental image of 855,298 is to think about three sporting events. And most people saw, now not in 2020 because everything was different then, but think about the Auburn-Alabama game in 2019. The stadium was packed. Now think about same year, the Super Bowl, a giant stadium and the stadium's packed. And now think about the World Series, a giant stadium and the stadium's packed. Most people have probably been in situations like that. And you look around and say, look at all the people right now. So think about those three events and then imagine a big mega stadium where they're all together. So all the people from the Auburn-Alabama game, Super Bowl and the World Series come together in a mega stadium. So picture that for a minute. Then multiply the mega stadium by four, and you still don't have 855,000 people. So think about it. All those people can't help their kids with their homework, struggle to, to read the Bible or understand the Bible, can't fill out a form, can't get their GED. It's a shocking number, and we got to do something about it. The one in four to me really sticks out. And so for many of us, our everyday life, we may not encounter those one out of every four people, but they're there. Uh, And as a former school principal, I would encounter people that didn't read nearly as well as they would like. But those people are in our state, whether we realize it or not. Absolutely, Shelly. I couldn't agree more. We've talked a lot about the implications of literacy for people personally, and you and I have talked about that data means for our economy in Alabama and just for the overall well-being of our citizens. I know you've worked on a variety of projects. What do you think has the most promise at this point to change the course of literacy for the state? Since I've been involved with literacy, I've seen a lot of things kind of come and go. But I'm, I think I'm more encouraged now than I ever have been. I think maybe what is the most encouraging thing in my mind is probably the Alabama Literacy Act. And I, I know that there's some folks who grumble about it and 
there are still some things to work out. But I think that that proves that there's a group of people who are willing to keep literacy in the forefront and high on the priority list. And I think if that group of people can have their voice heard and continue to recruit converts, and if we work together and give people the resources and the time they need, we can move ahead and we can do something about that one out of four. But the one out of four doesn't change very quickly. And it's not going to change during the political cycle. It's a long-term change that has to happen. So the current administration's willingness to get behind and support the Alabama Literacy Act, it's not going to be successful overnight. It's going to take a while and it's going to fail at times. But I think if we will work again, I think we have to give people the resources and the time they need and remain committed and remain patient. There's no reason why Alabama can't make advances and move up from the bottom with reading. We know how to teach people how to read. We just have to, again, have the support and the resources and the time. Well, and I think that you are right on target with it being this kind of mind shift of not only it being this administration or a very short-lived project, but this has got to be a change in what we expect as citizens of the state of Alabama as far as fixing it early, because we know, just like you've told us, the cost for adults who don't read well, the cost for our children for their long-term health and success and happiness is in the balance. And so I'm all also optimistic. I think that it's going to take a lot of people coming together and and working together. And so for that reason, that's one of the reasons I'm grateful for you, Steve, because you have been doing this for a very long time and doing it very successfully. So what do you hope people take away today from our conversation, Steve? I hope they remember that one out of four adults in our state struggle with their reading and that they will keep that in mind. At the same time, realize that's not acceptable and we got to do something about it. And how do we get here? You know, what? how do we get here and how do we move forward? What cultural, political and financial issues are related to this? That, that we and, sh- and, and the racism part, things that we got to take a look at and see if we can't do better. It's It's not up to just a few people. It's up to everybody because literacy is going to affect you. Even if a level five reader, even if you're a very proficient reader, people who struggle with their reading affect the economy in in so many different ways. Taxes not paid, unemployment. So we're all in it together. And in Alabama, we got a problem, but We've had problems before, so we just got to be work hard and be patient. Well, I appreciate so very much what you have done for the people of Birmingham and the surrounding areas and the entire state in the area of literacy. And just can't wait to work with you more because I do feel like we can make it a better Alabama together. So thank you, Steve. Thank you, Shelley, for the opportunity. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our next podcast episode as we continue to explore literacy in the state of Alabama and what is working well in other parts of the United States.